Hello and welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how fit leaders enjoy vibrant lives marked by personal health and sustained contributions. In this podcast, The Confidence Net, I'd like to talk about the importance of combining clarity with confidence when leading our teams. In our model of leadership fitness, we talk about four different faces of leadership fitness. We talk about clarity, confidence, effectiveness, and vitality. These are four characteristics of fit leaders that combine to produce the sustainability that fit leaders bring to their organizations. Clarity is really all about creating a vision, setting a clear direction for our teams so that we can remove the ambiguity and align people around a common set of strategies and a vision. While clarity is absolutely important, it's not enough because we may know where to take our team. We may have set a very clear direction and yet if we're afraid to go there because we lack confidence, because we harbor self-doubts, then all of that clear direction is not going to produce the intended result because we're likely to become paralyzed at the point of action. So I want to spend some time talking about both external and internal criticism that often gets in our way of following through on some of the more important initiatives and ideas that we want our organization and our team to pursue. Let's start with some examples of external pushback. We can all think of times when we had an idea and yet we didn't follow through with it because a lot of people around us were telling us that it didn't make sense, that we were going to fail. And I'd like to just review a handful of some products that you will likely be aware of that had the people who generated the ideas around these new products listened too intently to those that were criticizing them. We may never have seen these products come to market, or we certainly wouldn't have seen them as early as we did. Let's start with this saying that someone said many, many years ago, no one will buy a tape player that doesn't record. Again, no one will buy a tape player that doesn't record. Who said this to whom and what were they describing? Well, it turns out that when the chair of Sony a person by the name of Akio Morita, first proposed the Walkman, his executive team thought that it would never work. In fact, they thought that the industry would laugh at them because they were a company that built their reputation on building recorders that recorded, tape recorders that recorded voice and recorded music. And the chairman of the company was now proposing a product that only played music and voice and didn't record it. Now, to Akio Morita's credit, he pushed this idea forward and was successful in introducing a product that was sold for over a decade and was 
clearly the precursor to the Apple iPod and to many other MP3 players. So when someone proposes a new idea, often there are others in the room that find all kinds of reasons not to support it, all the reasons it won't work. So again, clarity and confidence combine to create the power of new ideas. It's not enough to be clear about this idea of producing a product called the Walkman if you're unable to deal with the criticisms and the pushback that you get when you propose this new idea. So let me give you another example. This is what someone said. It's a huge risk and it will never fly. It's a huge risk and it will never fly. Who did they say that to? Sometimes people suggest it's what Orville and Wilbur Wright must have heard as they were experimenting with airplanes and with flight. In fact, this is what was said to Bill Lear by some of his aeronautical engineers when they were evaluating his design for a private jet. They said it would never fly. And yet we all know that there is a market, not a huge market, although there is a market for private jets. And the Learjet is one of the more popular products in that line. And so again, Bill Lear needed to have the ability to withstand that pushback to be able to continue pursuing his dream and his vision of building a private jet. Here's another one. There's no market for it. If there were, major airlines would already be offering it. Again, there's no market for it. If there were, major airlines would already be offering it. Well, this was what Fred Smith, the founder of Federal Express, heard from advisors surrounding him as he was beginning to think about offering a service that would deliver your packages positively overnight. Now, had Fred Smith listened to those around him who were saying there's no need for this? Because in fact, commercial airliners were transporting cargo and packages for organizations around the world. And yet Fred Smith had a vision for creating a company and a brand that would do this in a way that stood out. And so he was able to create his dream by listening to the external criticism and moving forward with his idea anyway. One more example, a global 24-hour news network will never work. A 24-hour news network will never work. Well, we all know that this has something to do with all of the cable news networks. This is what Ted Turner heard when he unveiled his plans to create the first cable news network, which was CNN. So again, these are examples of some pretty well-known products and services that had the proponents of these products listened too intently. If they would have given too much credibility to the critics, these products would likely have died on the vine or been introduced by a competitor a month or a year or a decade later. So it takes this ability, this self-confidence to push an idea through despite the external criticism. And sometimes we, we just have to 
take a leap of faith if we believe strongly that that what we have in mind is actually a good product or a good service. Now, while these external pushbacks can be very powerful and can actually prevent leaders from taking action, I believe that it's the internal pushback. It's the self-talk that we give into often that causes us to not cross the line, to not take the action. I call these gremlins. These are voices in our head that are telling us things like, I'm not good enough. I've only been here a few years. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. No one will think my idea is worth listening to. So it's the you can'ts, the you don't deserves, the you won't succeeds. You'll look like a fool. Who do you think you are? These are actually quite common. If we're honest with ourselves, we can identify some of the voices that, that we hear when we are trying to recommend something new in our organization, a new idea, a new service, a new product, a new program. And in fact, the bolder our vision is, often the stronger the gremlins or the voices become. Because these voices are nothing more than our mind attempting to protect us from failure. Our brain doesn't want us to lose, to fail, to embarrass ourselves, to humiliate ourselves. And yet there's no evidence that that is what's going to happen. It might happen, although we'll never know until we take that step and take that chance. So I would encourage you to think about what inner voices surface for you when you're about to take on big and important work. You know, one of the biggest gremlins is something called the imposter syndrome. You may have heard of this. This was reported in the Harvard Business Review a couple decades ago. It's about successful people who are getting all kinds of accolades and praise for being the best at what they do and having the greatest ideas and being the most successful. And what happens sometimes is those very leaders who in fact are doing great work begin to think that they're not as good as everyone else says they are or thinks they are. And so they begin to believe that they are actually an imposter, that they don't deserve all of this positive attention. And what happens for some leaders who fall prey to this imposter syndrome is they actually self-sabotage their own careers. They derail their success by beginning to believe that they aren't that good, and they subconsciously begin not being that good. And so it's really, really important for leaders, particularly as they evolve in their career, particularly as they they succeed more and more to watch out for the imposter syndrome, because this is nothing more than a gremlin that's trying to prevent us from failing in the future. It's a gremlin that's saying, you know, just because you've succeeded up till now doesn't mean you're going to keep succeeding, even though the fact that we are succeeding is often one of the best predictors of future success. The imposter syndrome is always going to try to stop us and make us question ourselves. So what do we do with these gremlins? How do we manage these negative voices? Because self-doubt's normal. It comes with the territory. 
So one of the strategies that I often recommend is to simply normalize these voices. Be aware of the, of the self-talk, of the negative self-talk, and recognize that these voices are, are out there and that they're going to follow us, that there's nothing wrong with us when we experience these self-doubts. So when I say normalize it, I mean really just recognize it as, as normal. It's, it's part of what comes with success when we are leading others. And in some respects, the gremlins are there to make sure that we haven't overlooked something. It becomes a problem when we believe in these gremlins or we believe what the gremlins are telling us when there's no evidence whatsoever that we should delay, that we should put off, cancel, drop the plans that we have. So simply being aware that these voices are normal can help us just recognize them and have the ability to move on. Another strategy is to simply practice considering alternative perspectives or different ways of looking at the same situation. So you might be thinking that you're going to fail at something. So this is a gremlin that is telling you you're going to fall on your face. You're going to be an utter failure at this. Now, again, you might be. We might fail at something, although that's only one way of thinking about the prospect of taking some action. What's another perspective that we might bring to the same possibility of taking action? So one perspective is we're going to fail. Another perspective is we're going to succeed. I'm going to be an utter success at this. Again, I don't know until I try. Maybe there's a, a third perspective out there. Maybe the third perspective is even if I do fail, even if this doesn't work, I'll learn what not to do again. I'll learn to do it a different way the next time. And maybe there's a fourth perspective and a fifth perspective. The key in considering alternative perspectives is that we can choose where we want to be. We can choose where we want to live. Do we want to live in failure? Do we want to live in success or the the likelihood of failure or the likelihood of success, it's our choice. You know, Henry Ford was correct when he said that whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So we have to be careful because we often get what we expect when it comes to deciding how we want to be as we're getting ready to do something big. Another strategy is simply to ignore our gremlins. Just, just expose them for the imposters that they are. We also don't want to panic. And one of the things that can prevent us from panicking is recognizing that everything can look like a failure in the middle. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. My wife is an artist. She paints. She's an acrylic painter. And there are times where she'll start a new painting. She'll take out a new canvas and mix her paints and, and start creating. And maybe after a day, she's looking at the painting and she says, oh, this is garbage. Oh, I can't, I don't like it. It's, it, it this is going to turn into nothing. And she sometimes is tempted to throw it out, start over, walk away. And with some encouragement, often she'll pick it up the next day. She'll, she'll start thinking about it a little differently. She'll continue to, to work on it. And lo and behold, within another day or two, it's really good. And I will often tell her, I think that's a masterpiece. And, and while she'll never admit that it's a masterpiece, 
she's very good at what she does. And even someone who's good at her work can sometimes look at it at the very beginning or, or even into the middle of the project and think that it's not going to turn into anything good. So we have to be careful not to give up. We, we have to know when to stick and when to quit. That's a real art. Great book about this by Seth Godin called The Dip. Another great book is called Three Feet from Gold. And this is a, a very interesting story about some individuals that were caught up in the gold rush on the West Coast in the United States. And when the gold rush was, was underway, there were a couple of gentlemen who decided to invest some of their money in a patch of land. They thought maybe they'll, they'll strike it rich and, and find gold. And they didn't know anything about gold or mining for gold. They just had some money and they thought, let's give it a try. So they got their land and they started mining for gold and they were doing it for maybe a day or two and they weren't having any success. And so they decided to walk away from it. They, they decided to sell their patch of land. And luckily, there was a young man who had always loved the idea of mining for gold. In fact, he had read up on it. He had actually become an expert around how to dig, whether you dig with the vein, against the vein, in the ground. And he was able to purchase this plot of land from, from these older gentlemen uh, for not very much money at all. And so the, the original investors didn't make any money on the gold, and they also lost money on their investment because they literally gave away their piece of land to this, this young man. And as the story proceeds, we learn that the young man actually struck gold within the first few hours because he knew what he was doing. He had some passion around mining for gold. And literally, the gold was three feet from the surface of the land. And so that's why they, they titled the book Three Feet from Gold. So the original investors were three feet from gold. They were literally three feet from gold, and they gave up. Had they spent a little bit more time, had they been able to deal with the self-doubt that was now entering their mind, their, their gremlins were probably telling them, we're never going to strike it rich. We're never going to find gold. We don't know what we're doing. If they would have been able to move beyond that, they just might have reached their goal of becoming rich. So it is important to know that at times we do need to push through those doubts. And we also have to know that at some point we may make the informed decision that we don't want to pour more good money after bad, right? There are going to be some situations where it is appropriate. It is the right move to say, okay, this isn't working. And even that, as, as I've already alluded to, can be a positive outcome. When we fail at something that we set out to do, it tells us how not to do that same thing again in that way. That can be very valuable. So think about what makes you confident when you think about external pushback, negative self-talk, what are some of the things you do already that give you that greater ability to stave off these criticisms that allow you to proceed with your plans, with your program, to not just give up, to not just leave money on the table when you feel that there is viability around your idea? What are some of the things that you do every day, some routines or some habits that cause you to be able to deal more effectively with the external 
criticism you get from your colleagues or the internal criticism pushback you get from your gremlins or from these negative voices. For some of you, it might be daily exercise. When you exercise every day, it just gives you that, that greater poise and, and that greater confidence and patience to, to move forward despite some of the criticism. For others, it might be prayer. It might be affirmations. It might be meditation. For some people, it might be a power outfit. It might be a certain shirt or blouse or slacks that when you are dressed in those clothes, you feel invincible. And doesn't matter what happens, you're going to feel successful and you're going to bring that, that confidence with you. If you have any of these habits that I just mentioned, it's very likely that you develop them over time. You probably did them long enough on a consistent basis that they're no longer taking up any mind share. You do them without even thinking about them. That's what we refer to as a habit. So if, if you do something long enough, you're just going to do it without even thinking about it. The folklore on the internet is that if you do something for 21 days, it's called the 21-day rule, on day 22, you're likely to keep doing it on day 23, day 24, that it's going to be hardwired. You're going to now have a habit. Now, the reality is that it does take longer than 21 days. If you talk to a neuroanatomist, you'll hear that it actually takes 66 days for a new neural pathway to form in your brain that pretty much ensures that you will continue doing what it is that you've been doing for 66 days. Now, if we told people that it took 66 days to develop a new habit, there's a good chance that a lot of people wouldn't even start because 66 days seems like a very long time. And so that's where the 21-day rule came along. Now, when we say 21 days in a row or 66 days in a row, we really mean in a row. We don't mean do it for seven days and then stop for four days and then start back on the 11th day. If that happens, if you do something for seven days and then you don't do it, and then on the 11th day you say, you know what, I really do want to continue doing this. I, do, I really want to establish this new habit. That day 11 is now day one again, and you have to start over because it's the repetition of doing this that causes your brain to see that there's a new pattern that you desire and that ultimately, physiologically, results in a new neural pathway in your brain that makes it the habit and the routine. So think about some of the behaviors that might give you that extra oomph, that, that extra confidence to deal more effectively and more confidently with external and internal pushback. I like to call this a confidence net, just like a safety net is there to help prevent us from hurting ourselves or, or even dying if we jump from a high floor in a building, a confidence net is a set of behaviors. It's a repertoire of positive habits that allows us to be able to go out into the world more confidently. And I, and I don't mean arrogantly. So sometimes people mistake confidence for arrogance or arrogance for confidence. We're not talking about being arrogant. We're talking about having the healthy self-confidence of moving ahead with what you believe makes sense with what you believe should happen. Now, it may be that someone convinces you not to do it. They may provide you with data and facts and circumstances that convince you that this is not 
in your best interest or the best interest of the organization. What we're trying to do, though, is to build confidence in leaders so that they don't give up so quickly when, in fact, they're onto something big and their idea is actually a very good idea. So be aware of the gremlins. Be aware of the strategies we talked about to better manage them and do your best to come up with a set of positive behaviors that can give you that self-confidence to be a fit leader. For more information on how to build your confidence and to become a fit leader, I invite you to visit fitleadersacademy.com, fitleadersacademy.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.